Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all and sundry wherever you are. Welcome to the Scan Podcast. I'm your host Mukanda Maombola. We are in conversation with women in supply chain. As you know in Scan, we talk about supply chain, we talk about all matters supply chain and we highlight entrepreneurs, we highlight professionals and today we're going to highlight Azuka Okeke. Azuka is the Chief Executive Officer at Africa Resource Center for Excellence in Supply Chain Management in Nigeria. She has a career spanning 20 years so she's been around, she's aware of what she's doing and she is smart. Thank you so much for joining us Azuka. So just to start things off, you have a career spanning over 20 years. If you'd just like to tell us, how has that been? How did you start? Because I know you started in pharmaceutical. And looking back, how has that journey been for you? Um, so, <laughs> first of all, thank you for having me um, for this podcast. It's really an honor. You know, one of the key things that women need is a voice. So, which is why at every point I'm giving the opportunity, I am very appreciative. So, okay, my LinkedIn, I've been in practice since 2000, so that's like a long time. I, I started off as a pharmacist, um, worked for six years, and after that I was like, and so, and so, is that all? You know, I, I worked in the hospital, I worked in the community pharmacy practice, I worked in um, as a sales rep. I'm very... Um, I, 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 I like challenges. So by the time I did it, I, I said, is that all that is in pharmacy? So I get hungry real quick. So, um, which was why, um, you know, when a friend told me, oh, there's this thing about public health, you know, pharmacists in supply chain. I had never heard about supply chain till, you know, it was even more around the logistics part of it. And, you know, I said, okay, I'm game. I mean, the interest there was that there was a lot of um, international aid that would help you grow uh, and, you know, give you access to trainings, world-class trainings, which wasn't really there for the pharmacy practice. Pharmacy practice, apart from your university education or some other um, postgraduate study, which is, you know, available to many of us in countries like Nigeria, there, that um, international eye wasn't on it, but it was on supply chain, and there were opportunities to garner, um, I would say, get um, top top class training. So that was really the interest there, and I I started and I grew. I'm one of those that grew from um, supply chain at the client level, you know, working in hospitals, down up to you know NGO working as a field worker then to leadership so gone through the different phases of logistics and supply chain practice in public health so yes that's that's really it. Uh, because we're in the work of COVID as I have to ask you what is the perception of the COVID vaccine in Nigeria in Kenya there's really a push by everyone for guys to get vaccinated so I'd like to understand is there the push mm-hmm. by government and how and what is the perception of just the local Nigerian are people pushing for to get the vaccine or not so Nigeria is I mean I'm sure um, Pam would have told you Nigeria is a very complex country with complex <laughs> if you can if you can sort Nigeria out you can sort out the world <laughs> so I say well i think one thing that happened in nigeria is the information flow really affected a lot of things because many nigerians i'm sure like in kenya 
mobile technology everybody's on whatsapp even in the rural community and a lot of times the information that see through you know is what informs people's um, choice um vaccination or immunization has always been an accepted practice in nigeria because we have we are part of the whole routine immunization um process and even we where those in Africa, we always said, oh, we're even better than the Western world where they have the anti-vax, you know. You know so, but here in Nigeria, we've never really had that as an issue. But when COVID came, the information that, you know, because it wasn't like COVID came and there was a vaccine. The pandemic came in and then there was that time to say, how do we deal with this? So many things. And then there was a vaccine. And then the first information that trickled in was the time the short time to the production of vaccine. Then all of a sudden, everybody became an expert in vaccine manufacturing. And everybody's talking about, well, this is not safe. So it came in with the fact that there was a vaccine, but then it wasn't safe. So what happened in Nigeria was people began to weigh the risk. You know, the risk of taking in a vaccine that they perceived wasn't safe and the risk of getting COVID. And, you know, I'm, I am one of those that had people close to me, people I knew, let me put it like that, that died from COVID. So I understand the reality. So, but exactly. So I understand that, oh, wow, this is real. And this, you know, there is something to be done about it. However, there are many people that till date, they just hear about it. Many, they've never really had anyone been affected by it. So they weigh the risk of taking a vaccine that information has come in that it's not, you know, hasn't been, you know, tested like other vaccines. And then they say, well, I don't really know if this is, you know, then the thing is, is it really real? So that's really, um, so people in the urban communities like our big cities like Lagos, Abuja, that are really close to public health and there is a, a, a population density, they are more open to it but you see the people in other states that are really not you know that don't have that population and you know our culture our parents stay in the village they don't live with us and we don't have that kind of um, numbers in terms of covid death from those regions it's only in the urban cities then you know the risks yes it really affected not many people feel if I don't take the vaccine, it's not going to really affect me. So that's really what is the risk that they are weighing. Uh, so at the moment in Kenya, only 26% of the supply chain professionals are women. As a woman in supply chain, as a woman in leadership, as a woman in C-suit, mm -hmm. how do you think we could manage this gender gap? And what could be done to ensure that more women take up the profession? Kenya has tried. You have quite a number. We don't even have that. In, in Nigeria, it can be so glaring, you know. I, I, I work with several states and every time I just see all men, I keep saying, Why, where are they? And everybody now knows me that before you post a picture, make sure there's gender, <laughs> gender, some gender thing there. But I, I think the, the most important thing to look at is, you know, when we look at supply chain as a whole, I mean, beyond public health, you find that a lot of people kind of entered supply chain through logistics, you know warehouse uh, transportation and these were mostly male dominated so even when the supply chain rose you know is a new 
profession when it came up it was those that that were at the shop floor, you know, the warehouse managers, the transport managers that easily moved up the rank. And then you see more supply chain um, leaders being men because those were people in the, in, the, in, the, in the system. But I think there is now more awareness that supply chain has moved really from the use of using logistics as um, a leadership, um, I would say, platform. Why? Because most supply chains are being run by data, big data. And with big data means one has to prioritize strategies, how you use big data to make decision making. So more like people that are more visionary, more strategic. And that these are classic women roles, you know. We do well with coordination. And of, of course, the issue now is, part, particularly with the pandemic, you now begin to be, really value your suppliers. So people that can that can be strong in supplier relationships. Now, what happens then is that even though there are many women that have that understanding, we're still quite few in the picture. Generally, even with um, leadership roles, there's like 20% that are women. When we see women being promoted, everybody dances in my country. Oh my goodness, a woman. so it's a new thing. Talk less of supply chain. So I think it's the bringing companies the awareness to understand the difference between logistics and supply chain. The awareness is generally poor, even within industry. Many industries understand logistics. They don't understand supply chain. They, yes, it's just that gap in there. Um, I think within the public health space, is um, we must recognize that we have... Um, women that work women that are in, in that are in the public health space it all depends on the region you know mostly in the northern part of nigeria many women are not really in the um the public health system or working so you the tendency is that you see more men there in the southern and the southern the south and the west you see women so it, it's already there's that divide the demographic divide and of course, the, um, even when you, you go to those southern um, regions, the women still have to struggle with the men. So really, that's what it is. It is a divide. It's, it's there. And it can get lonely. So, you know, it can get lonely up there. <laughs> yes. That really does make sense when you say that we not only have to make supply chain look cool, but we also have to ensure that you're bringing more expertise to the women on the ground that does make sense so you play a role as a thought partner i had never even thought that it's something like a thought partner but you play a role as a thought partner and an advisor to national ministries of health in africa with issues like ebola malaria and now covid and even now with the covid vaccine how do you maneuver such delicate matters especially being a woman in supply chain um i think one when people ask me, because again, thought leadership is also a new skill that you know is just emerging in the industry. Um, when people try to ask me, what does that really mean? I say, well, have you watched the movie The Horse Whisperer? You know, you see something the the dog whisperer. The thought leadership is more like. Um, in a sense, in Nigeria, I would say in the public health industry, you are the government whisperer, you know, the person that listens, you know, pays attention to what the government is saying, why, why they are making the decisions they are making, and then 
come with the mindset of you know evidence based that fits context to bring your advice so again is if you don't listen you will just come with you know the typical best practice this is the best way to do this this is what other people are doing this happened in kenya you know how we do the you know you bring the graphs and all that and you have meetings and then everybody goes oh nice meeting lovely meat pie wonderful cake nothing is done yes yeah. so one of the things i had to learn is um is to listen to understand is it that we really do have irresponsible government in africa or we don't understand the need and what would um, get them to be more involved and more engaged in particularly with public financing so with that in place you know understanding the system it has helped me you know you you, you one of the things i asked when i took on the job because the role of an act is quite different from the typical implementing partner um, positions who are supposed to influence um, policy change, policy direction, and you are supposed to give government access to the resources they need in country to make it more affordable. So it's one thing to get government to listen and hear how they invest, but it's another thing to also provide them affordable contextualized resources that they can marry. So it, it's it's so when I asked um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they were the ones that initiated the act. I said, so what would be my success factor? Um, I remember clearly they said, if the Minister of Health in Nigeria, he calls you at 2 a.m. in the morning to tell you his supply chain pain point. I was like, what? What does that mean? I thought he was going to say number of women immunized, number of these um, last mile solutions, innovation. He said, no, it is a case of you being the minister trusting you to know that he can tell me his supply chain. He can trust me with the supply chain pain point of the country and know that I can help him, you know, that listening ear. So for me, that, that telling me that at the onset, the expectation from my office was useful for me to play the role well. So for my next question, in my 23 years of living, I have come to acknowledge that there will always be a mistake that humbles you. At the same time, the mistake will teach you. So what has been yours? So I think in my career, um, one of the things that I realized at some point was you know, how to, the dangers of being quite passionate <laughs> without being, you know, paying attention to details. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm quite passionate. When I like something, I, I move with passion. When I, when I get into a job, like I said, I can get bored easily. So when I, got it, when I get into jobs, I move with passion. And along the line, I've seen myself, you know, move with passion, do things with passion without, you know, with, they miss some, you know, very salient point because you are, your passion is pushing you. So I, I, I recall, you know, having, you know, working with different partners because then in my job, you need to work, collaborate. And when you're collaborating, you've got to really pay attention. You've got to move beyond um, your, your own drive. So I recall at some point in some of the collaborations, I would, 
I would, you know, I would get to a point and I find myself alone and people say, well, we never really wanted to go in that direction. I'm like, what? We've always, they said, no, that's not the direction. And then I go like, they, they have to say, we're, we're going in another direction. And it just spoils the whole relationship. So it, it's something that I learned to, so what I do, I, I don't want to tone down my passion. <laughs> so, but what I, what I then do is um, surround myself with people um, that pay attention to details. So try not to do meetings alone. I have some of my good team members. And then after meetings, I say, tell me, what did you hear? You know, I then get them. They, I'll say, wow, you heard all that in the meeting. I mean, I was like, I was, <laughs> and I say, yes, didn't you hear him say this? Didn't you hear that? And then with them, so I have like some good two, three people that I really work closely with that help me in that regard. I also look at documents. I see the end point. Oh, they have agreed. But I don't read the middle line <laughs> a lot of times. So I say, read this and tell me what am I not seeing. So knowing my strength and making sure that um, without toning down my strength, but looking at my weakness and bridging the gap, gap with good team team um, team play. So I'm a good. I try to be a good team player because I know my strength and I know if I run alone, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. So I try to surround myself with those that balance you know the, the 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 weaknesses i really appreciate my team many times people see me they see me because i'm the voice i'm the advocate um but i have a very good team and they understand that i'm the voice and they are okay to walk behind me to for me to speak but the work really is being done by them and a lot of things because they know what you know the vision and they are okay to what wrong with my vision they also pull me back you know they also pull me back to say look you've got to slow down here you know so again is understanding that when people say azuka i said no, no most of the time it's not me i'm just the voice speaking for my team i have a whole strong team behind me that makes sure that we achieve because it's one thing to say but it's all another thing to do and it's those guys that look in between the lines that know the deliverables at particular times. And they say, well, we said we'll do this, but we can't even do it until this is done, this is done, this is done. Recognizing that and then, you know, my team is awesome. I mean, really awesome. And I've, I've, I've grown with them. They, a lot of them came before me. People don't know it. I joined them in the, in the ARC ESM journey. So I recognize that they even were the ones that wrote the proposal. I just came in, but um, being uh, being brought in to lead the team, they were very happy for me to work with them. But I recognize their value to know that without them, I wouldn't we wouldn't be where we are. You have pioneered the setup of the first of its kind membership platform for private sector in Nigeria and you have been able to raise 700,000 US dollars to public health programs within the past four years. What was the incentive for this and how did you manage to pull it off? Well, I think again, as um, one of the things we, we try to do or we promise the country, remember that ARC ESM, Africa Resource Center in, you know, for Excellence in Supply Chain Management, a lot of times people don't really... Is a resource center. In a sense, I say to people, imagine it as a library where you go to pick up your resource. We, we are not the doers of the work. We recognize the, the part of the, the trainers, the implementers, the private sector. Our job is to 
provide resources in a very structured manner where government can be able to access those resources. And one of our, our one of the things we promised Nigeria was that we're going to try and see if we can get additional financing resource to kind of augment the, both the donor resource and the government resource. Our, our, our vision is that in the next three years that the, the, the government will be paying 40% for supply chain, private sector financing will cover 40 and donor would be 20. That's our vision because for us that becomes a more sustainable model because many countries, even the, the donor countries are struggling with the pandemic and we know that people will begin to look inwards, you know. Um, you see what is happening with vaccine manufacturing. People are saying, why, why the, the, the um, countries are buying for them? I say, yeah, of course they will buy for themselves, but they have to take care of their citizens. That's just the reality of which if we had our money, we would also be... That's, let's just call it what it is. I, I am not all this aid, 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 um, pork on. I think um, we need to begin really that practical journey. So what we, what we promised the country was we would um, make sure that the private sector had better understanding of what the issues were. Because a lot of times, private sector, of course, most of the time, private sector is looking for business. That's what it is. They are looking at the business opportunity. We're recognizing that, but also coming from the angle of this is our country. It's, 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 it's our country and we all have to build it, both the public and the private. If we have that mindset that, yes, there is opportunity for business, but there's opportunity for us to play our own patriotic role, that was how we approached it. So we engaged the private sector to say, see, see, we need you to put in your CSR in supply chain because your own mother would need to take vaccines, you know, no matter how 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 um, how profitable your personal business is, if your mother can access vaccines from her village, you know you need to ship her to America. <laughs> so there there is that um, a call. What we did was a call to action to say, look, this is our country. We all have a role to play here, and that role makes it important and very vital that the private sector puts in their CSR in public health sector. So we separated the business from the CSR and that's how we're able to get many companies say, okay, we're game for this. If there's someone that needs training, we will pay for it. Um, if somebody, um, if we, if somebody, um, we can provide a lot of things in kind, we're happy to help our country. So it was that was what engendered that right now it has increased <laughs> because we are seeing it as our country challenge let us do it together it's not the government problem it's a problem we all have to face azuka i'd like to throw you into a desert island so we're throwing you right into the depth of sahara what is that one thing you'll carry with you and why okay um <laughs> if i'm in a desert island um alone the one thing i would take with me is that it uh i think my bible oh your bible that makes sense which verse stands out for you in in the bible 
think um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away beyond all things have become new. It kind of helps me because a lot of times, you know, you struggle with your past and you kind of think I'm, I'm having this challenge because of my past errors. So, and it does say, well, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. All things are passed away. And it gives me a lot of comfort. So that's one of my favorite verses. Okay. So Azuka, when you wind down, what, who is that one artist or what, which is that one song that helps you relax? So I love uh, my favorite song, one of my favorite songs of all time. He's a Nigerian musician. His name is Nathaniel Bassi. Um, I love his song, Take the Stage. I'm just a vessel and nothing more. Oh, Nathaniel Bassi, indeed. So, my next question you are a proud Canon Collins scholarship recipient. I didn't even know that this scholarship exists, you know. You're also a communal scholar and a member of the West African Postgraduate College of Pharmacists. You have served as a board of director for ART in South Africa, and now you are an executive director. With all these accolades uh, for an African woman, does it get lonely at the top? Because there are not very many female EDs, so does it ever get lonely at the top? And how do you maneuver this loneliness? A lot of times, these are things along your journey, you know, you, you pick here and there, you don't even think about it until someone says, go put up your LinkedIn profile. So, oh, interesting. And then, you know, initially you wouldn't even know what to put up. Then you read somebody's profile and say, ah, oh, I have better, you know. So a lot of times as you go through your journey and of course um, I tell people remain hungry, remain hungry for knowledge and, um, and check what is available. There's so many things available we don't know. You know, always look out for what is available. Um, use social media for social good. Don't use it to just, you know, fill yourself with all manner of junk. There are so many things available. So along the line, I have been open to information and I was able to see some of these opportunities and I, I, I was quick to grab them. And I recognize that um, one of the things that, even though it can be lonely, I, is, um, I, I tell myself, get a life there's so many so many you know that's just what you picked along the line be a friend to people they, they don't watch movies i watch a lot of movies i play with my children i have a, a good long laugh every day with my husband there are so many other things in life life is very much more about all these things you pick up in life you know the, your family your friends i also you know try to spend time go one of two places with my husband just get a life and uh, be 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 good to people those are the things that are more gratifying than the bags of accolade i want when I, when people think of me they don't even see the accolade <laughs> let them see me and say well azuka helped me here well azuka told me this when i had a problem azuka that, for me that's better I will link it to what one of my mentors taught me when I was um, I was being introduced to the C-suit position. You know, I was I had mentors, and they, I had funnily enough I had um, I had three mentors, uh, four mentors that were very active in my growth. Three of them were men, and I recall having um, the men sit me down to say, Azuka, 
if you want to grow to the place where you we see you grow you must remain humble with the right attitude that um it's not that they said to me many women are quite able even in every work environment you find the women um, have the right technical strength know be able to do project management end to end but one of the reasons why people are a bit wary of pulling women up is the attitude you know some kind of arrogance that just which i felt at that point was kind of patriarchal i mean like you guys have your attitude and nobody bothers with that yeah nobody that is a given but then when it comes to women but you know we are africans i always say people, you know we, we you can't just ignore our culture um, a lot of men, when they see you in the office, they compare you, they say, I have a wife at home, she doesn't talk to me like that. And then because of that, <laughs> someone can decide they will promote you. So I had to think of it and say, okay, at every point, I must recognize I'm just doing a job. And the job was given to me, and there's an expectation for me to just do that job and do it well. So the song kind of just says, you know, I'm just a vessel. That's nothing, nothing more. I'm just a vessel. That the job, you know, God should actually take the stage. That He's the one doing the work. That I'm just a vessel. Nothing more. It keeps me humble because then I don't think, oh, this I did this so well. Oh, you know, my head. No, I'm just like, okay, it's just my job. I've done it. In the midst of COVID-19 pandemic, we had airports closed down. We had road transport on hold. We had ports on hold what lesson can we learn from this and how do we go about this to ensure that if we ever hit if we were ever hit by a pandemic life can still move local production local manufacturing that's number one <laughs> that's number one yeah relying on global you know supply chains and the you know your active ingredients your your end products it, it put a lot of you know, systems kind of shut down many systems, you know, many companies couldn't survive because they couldn't, you know, manufacture, they, they were relying on um, external um, raw materials, you know, and the timeline, the lead time, only those that had um, local alternatives were able to survive. So I said in Nigeria, one thing we learned, and which is what we're pushing strongly now is local manufacture and in my own space pharmaceuticals you know where everybody's beginning to look inward how do we strengthen this industry how do we make it more viable so we don't and nobody knows when there is going to be an end of pandemic are you sure we're not going to live with this so the more, yeah, the more we deal with it and begin to improve local production um the more we um we we make things move also not just in that the more we also develop inwards you know nigeria I'm, I'm sure like kenya you know where holidays you're looking to fly there you're looking to go there you don't build your own we had some leaders die because they they couldn't fly out <laughs> to go to their favorite hospitals so the more you're looking was develop your industries whether it's tourism whether it's the hospitality so that you know that we know that travels will never be the same again travels just those realities are things again local focus on local build yourself build your internal create more jobs or people are going to run away <laughs> yeah
a lot of things we've we we've learned during this period is a continental approach to doing things the more we recognize that we are africans and we need to begin to take care of we the better why i would need a, a visa into kenya and the kenyan we need a visa into the, it's it, it's just mad you know it just creates that divide you know i think is we we need to have more continental approach work closer together i'm, I'm happy with the africa continental trade agreement but we need more we need to work more together because as a continent we're stronger than when we are a, a you know individual countries so and remove some of the the walls we've put in there in between us <laughs> you have spoken about having male mentors how has the mentorship been for you and would you advise one to have mentors i think again is um at some point in your life your mentorship goes beyond technical to more promotion you know um one of the things that helped me is that um i was i would say in a sense discovered by someone i didn't apply for my current position i was working and then my mentor then saw me and felt um this position is for you so i think organizations having a template to lift women up you know to be to look for them you know and not just you know but a lot of times when you open up positions for people to interview because there are so many other men up there the, the women may not uh, have as much chance but have, working in that industry where someone felt the need to go look for a woman that could do the job or look for someone and when he picked me he was one of my mentors when and he had time to tell me you know and it was more about the soft skills you know my mentorship and then i so i had a mentor that would tell me more about the soft skills teach me more about um the stakeholders at that level you know and i had another mentor that his job has always been to promote me so different mentors different things that you benefit from them i have a mentor he's not even nigerian but at every point he sees that i would benefit he will push my name out there and say bring her in he really significantly promoted me at the global space and he would always teach me how to go about that so it takes people to guide you and also you need to recognize that you don't know what's going on up there in this suit you do need help and then i had another mentor that was i would say um in a very tactful way fought a lot of battles for me would be in meetings and would hear and would speak on my behalf you know you need people that will speak on your behalf and even when you are doing things wrong they will come and tell you well you didn't get it right here you didn't get it right there so these are different mentors different things and they were always looking out for me to build me up everyone if one could get even one of these people that helped me that's a blessing i had four people <laughs> that really really were passionate about pushing me up you know and that helped me so i i hope to do that more for people because i wouldn't have known which platform you know i wouldn't be, have been able to take myself to certain platforms you know i wouldn't
don't even know about the platforms. <laughs> but someone did that and always I'll see my name somewhere and all that. So yes. So this is my last question, Azuka. What would you say to women who want to join supply chain or just C-suit in general? One of the things I'll say to women that aim to be, you know, to grow into C-suit leadership is that um, it's very important that you understand um, both the technical requirement and the soft skill requirement. Don't just focus on only the soft skills. Sometimes some women are, you know, very strong in relationship building, stakeholder management, you know, um, but weak in technical. The more you understand what the client needs and the technical aspect of that, the better um, you you are able to marry the two and achieve success. If you don't understand the role of big data, if you don't understand the technologies available. Um, you may you may not be able to do so well um, when you are providing advice or when you are called upon. So the more you read, study, understand the needs and the resources available, then the soft skills are then an added plus. Um, so for every woman out there, um, grow in knowledge, grow in skills. If you see training opportunities, please take them on. Don't think you're too big to get trained. We all have to get trainings now and then. Thank you very much, Anda. Thank you for having me on this platform, Asha. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me today. A take home from Azuka, and these are on mentorship. She, she says, you have to understand that you don't know it all. You have to be very brave and be authentic in the sense that you will need help and be very comfortable with asking for help and be very okay with be, with with receiving help. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Mokanda Maombola. I'm your host of Scan Podcast. Until next time, get vaccinated.